welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. We're so glad to have you along today for this episode, because if it's happening in the world of Christian Historical Fiction Talk, it is happening right here. And one thing that is happening in the world of Christian Historical Fiction is Barber's series, Heroines of World War II. And our guest today is one of the authors in this 12-book series. So they're all standalone novels by different authors. And she's here to talk about her novel, which is number three of 12 in the series. So it's just gotten started. So if you have not picked up the other two, I will have links to them in the show notes, and you can get those as well. Two quick reminders before we dive into our interview with Candice. First of all, if you have not subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure that you do so today so that you don't miss out on any of the great guests that we have coming up. We have some wonderful ones lined up starting in 2022. Such a good year to look forward to. So many good books coming out, so many great authors coming on. So you don't want to miss anything that we have coming up in the future. Also, today's show notes will be found over on my website, which is liztolsma.com. Just click on the podcast tab. There you'll see all the podcasts. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, you can go over there and listen to other episodes, and you can also find out more about the book Saving Mrs. Roosevelt and more about Candace Sue Patterson, and I'll have some links over there for you to be able to purchase her book. That's it. We are ready to get on to our interview with Candace. She is a wonderful lady. She studied at the Institute of Children's Literature when she was 16 years old and learned a lot about writing there. She's going to tell us a little bit more about that. She currently lives in Indiana with her husband and three sons in a restored farmhouse overtaken by books. She's also an elementary school librarian and busy writing. She writes both contemporary and and historical romance. So no matter which you like, or if you like a little bit of both, Candace has something for everybody. She is also a speaker and a graphic designer. So if you have need of either of those, I would suggest that you check out her website, which is CandiceSuePatterson.com, and contact her about those opportunities as well. Okay, that's enough from me. You're wanting to hear from Candace. So please join me in welcoming Candace Sue Patterson to the show today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to chatting with you because we are both part of Barber's series, Heroines of World War II, and your book sounds absolutely amazing. But before we get started on that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? I'm Candace Sue Patterson. I'm a mom of three sons, one who recently went off to college, one who is a senior this year and a middle schooler. We live in Indiana in an old farmhouse in the country with our great Pyrenees and my very large collection of books. I'm an elementary librarian by day, and I write whenever I get a chance, whenever I find a spare moment. 
I write both historical and contemporary romance, and my brand is modern vintage romance where the past and present collide with faith. Wow. Sounds like you have a busy life with three boys. I congratulate you on surviving, at least so far, with three boys in the house. (laughs) Kudos to you. They're good boys. I'm very blessed. That's good. Boys get a bad rap, really, honestly. They do. They do. They've been so good. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your new book, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt. Saving Mrs. Roosevelt is centered around the Spars, which was the first female-only division of the Coast Guard. Their role was to take over jobs on the home front to help free up men uh, to fight overseas. Training usually lasted between four and six weeks, and the women would be placed into jobs that ranged anywhere from clerical work to home defense and even more dangerous missions such as running the Lauren Station, which used radio frequencies to communicate to ships. My main character, Shirley Davenport, lives with her parents in Lubeck, Maine, where she assists her father in fishing and lobstering. She's a strong desire to serve her country, like her four brothers, but her options are limited because she's a female, and there just weren't many options for females to serve back then. So her best friend and neighbor, Joan Fisher, shows her a flyer advertising a new spar reserve, and together they join at the dismay of Shirley's father. Shirley and Joan are sent to separate training camps, While training at Iowa State Teachers College, Shirley gets to know the handsome and brooding Captain Leonard Weber, who is assigned to remain on the home front for reasons that I don't want to spoil for readers. But when his assignment takes him away from the sparse training to do a more dangerous mission, he and Shirley's paths cross again, and they must rely on each other as they work to protect the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. You know, I did not know about the spars until your book. And that was so fascinating to me because other branches of the military did have places for women to serve, but I didn't realize that the Coast Guard did too. Yeah, it was commissioned in 1942. I came across it accidentally. (laughs) It's kind of a funny story. When my agent called to let me know that Barbara was doing the series, she asked if I would be interested in putting a proposal together. I had just finished a contemporary romance that centered around the lobstering industry. And I had researched so much for that book that I thought, I don't know if I have enough time to kind of put some of that research in my head away and really dive into World War II history in order to come up with a proposal on time. So then I got to thinking, well, maybe I could somehow use the lobstering research in a World War II story. So I got to thinking about it and I started Googling Maine and their role in World War II. And that's when the spars popped up. They actually, several Maine women joined the spars and I had never heard of them before. So that's how I came across them. And then while putting the proposal together, I figured out a way to couple lobstering with espionage. Wow, I've never heard lobstering and espionage in the same sentence, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) And that total, that part of the story is completely fictional. I kind of was able to write in a way that they could almost do like a Morse code with lobster buoys. Very interesting. That's so fascinating to me. Now, there is a plot against Mrs. Roosevelt in the Mm -hmm. story that, She's 
being threatened, that hence the title Saving Mrs. Roosevelt. Is there any truth to that plot against her and the spar's role in protecting her? No, that part is completely fictional. There were several people who were unhappy with with Eleanor and some of the things she was doing, and she had some threats against her, but nothing like what I wrote. They were mostly just verbal threats that I could find online, but this plot is completely fictional. You have some historical characters who make appearances in the book. Is it giving anything away, or can you tell us who they are? Yeah, so Dorothy C. Stratton was actually the dean of women at Purdue University, which is just a few hours from my house here in Indiana. And I became fascinated with her when I found out that the military reached out to her and asked her if she would consider being the director of the SPARS. And so I thought, well, she had to be like this amazing lady for the military to reach out to her like that. So I just became fascinated with her when I was researching just the different aspects of her life and all the things that she did with the Coast Guard and the SPARS. And she also worked with the Waves, which was the women's division of the Navy. But she has a cameo in the book. She was amazing at commanding and leading, but being 100% ladylike the entire time. She just had this way about her that just, it just drew me to her. And I knew that she had to have a spot in the book. I do tell at the very end of the book, what is fictionalized in the story and what is real. But almost everything about Dorothy and her role in the book itself is real. Was it hard to write a true-to-life character like Dorothy? I think maybe in any other way it would have been, but she was just such an amazing lady. I just felt like the research that I found about her described her so well and so vividly that it was easy to write about her. And I was so amazed within some of my research how well she fit into the book. There's a part in the plot that is centered around uh, her Bible. And I don't want to give too much away on that. But though she did not give that to a spar, that story is real. Wow, really interesting. You have lots of great little historical tidbits in there that I'm sure are going to really fascinate our listeners. I enjoyed writing this so much. This is the first World War era story I've ever written, and I I had the best time. Is this your first historical, or have you written other historicals as well? This is my first full-length historical. My first one was a novella in the Great Lakes Lighthouse Brides collection a few years ago, that was published by Barber as well. And then I have another historical novella that comes out in February of 2022 for their Lumberjacks and Ladies Romance Collection. But this is my first full-length historical. Now, I saw on your website that you have a Pinterest board for each of your books. So, of course, I had to hop on there and find out what you had on your Pinterest board. And I saw a couple of pictures of Jesse Metcalf. Mm -hmm. And I see that he was on Chesapeake Shores, which you mentioned is one of your favorite TV shows. Mm -hmm. Was he the inspiration for Captain Leo Weber? He was. I was looking for, I knew that his character would be dark and brooding 
at least the first part of the book because he's got a backstory that he's dealing with. And I just happened to come across a picture of Jesse that just the look on his face was very dark and brooding. And I thought, that's it. That's perfect. Do you often do that? Take Hollywood people and fashion your characters, at least their looks after those Hollywood people? I do. Sometimes it might just be a picture that I come across online or somebody in a magazine, not necessarily a celebrity, but it helps me. I'm a very detailed and visual person. And so it helps me to have a picture in front of me that I can write from. And that also keeps me from giving them like green eyes in one chapter and blue eyes five chapters later. (laughs) It's just nice to have something right there. I write in the Scrivener program. And so I always have all the pictures of my characters on the cork board that's in that program. That is such a helpful program for writers. And I do the same thing. Somehow I still end up with characters who have green eyes in one chapter and blue eyes five chapters later. My poor editors have just learned how to deal with that with me. I don't know how that happens. Do you do the same thing for settings too? Do you take a lot of pictures from the settings and have those sitting out and around as you write? I do. With Maine, it's been helpful. We've taken several trips there in the last four or five years. So a lot of the pictures that I have there are vacation pictures or videos that I took while I was there. But definitely having traveled there helps me write the scene a lot better than with some of my books. It may be an area I've not been to before and I'm having to go off of Google Earth or just pictures I find in a magazine. But it definitely helps me write more details of the setting if I've actually traveled there. I agree. There's just so much richness that you can add to a story after having traveled there and all the little things that you can pick up on. Mm -hmm. What was the lure for Maine? Why did you, other than the spars, why did you pick having your heroine be from Maine? Maine has always had a draw for me ever since I was a kid. I just, something about it, I always wanted to travel there. And I got my first opportunity in 2011. And I just fell in love with it. And it became one of our favorite places to visit. So several of my books are actually set in Maine. But when I was looking over, I actually got on Amazon and researched different World War II books and what they were about and some of the settings and stuff before I made my proposal for this one. And I saw where there really weren't very many World War II era books set in Maine. And I had just come off all that research with the lobstering business in Maine from another book. And so I thought, I'm just going to take all of that and make it work for a World War II era story. Yeah, no use in having to redo the research if you don't have to. And if you enjoy the setting or anything, there you go. You're set. (laughs) Well, and not too far from where the book is set in Bath, Maine, they have a shipyard there where they actually built and repaired a lot of the boats for the military during World War II era too. So Maine has a very rich World War II history. Wow, interesting. I guess I just would have never thought of that, probably because I'm from the Midwest. And so I don't know an awful lot about Maine having never been there. So this is a different and very unique angle to the book. When you were 16, you attended the Institute of Children's Literature. That just really stuck out to me and fascinated me. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? I've always been fascinated with books. And ever since I was a little kid, I would just write stories here and there. 
I really got into the desire to write a book. I was probably around 14, 15 years old. Then when I was 16, I saw a commercial on television about the Institute of Children's Literature and how if you felt like, you know, you wanted to be a writer, you could call this number and they would send you an aptitude test to fill out. And so I talked to my parents about it and we did that and they accepted me. And then I actually did that. It was a two year course. I did that by correspondence during my junior and senior year of high school. And that was back before email. So everything, all the assignments were being sent back and forth through snail mail. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they taught me the basics of writing. They showed me where my strengths were and where my weaknesses were. And, and I told them right off the bat, I said, you know, not that I'm against writing for children, but my desire is to write, you know, novels for adults. So they kind of geared my assignments a little more toward that, but they were extremely helpful. And then not long after high school, I got married. And then not long after that, we started a family. And I actually put my dream of writing away for about 10 years. I worked for the post office at the time. And during the recession, they did some cutbacks and I lost my job. And at that time, staying home with our youngest son, I had just had him. That's when I pulled the dream back out and said, you know, I think I've got time now. I think I'm going to try this. And then in 2012, my first novella was published. Wow. So many authors do that. They have this dream and it kind of takes a backseat to everything else going on in their lives. But mm -hmm. very grateful that you pulled that dream back out and that you got to be part of this series. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God's been good. I also am fascinated that you live on a hobby farm in Indiana. Tell us about your farm. Like how big is it? What kind of animals do you have? We have 10 acres. We actually, all we have is chickens right now. We have nine chickens. Over the last few years, we've kind of dwindled down on some things, but like we haven't had a garden the last couple of years like we normally do. And some of the other animals that we have, we just, we don't have anymore. So we're down to a dog and a couple of outside cats and some chickens, but, but we do sell our eggs. I enjoy having my chickens and, and taking care of them. We'll have to talk off air a little bit because we've been talking about getting some chickens ourselves. So we'll have to compare some notes here. <laughs> Look down the road into your crystal ball. 10 years. Do you still see yourself writing in 10 years? I do. I feel like writing is such a part of me that I can't not write. So even if I'm just writing for myself, I think now that I've gotten back into it, I don't think I will be able to put it down. Well, good. That's great news for all of us. And I'm so glad to hear that. That means then you must have something in the works, something that's coming up next. What would that be? Well, I have a novella called All That Glitters that comes out in February of 2022 for Barber's Lumberjacks and Ladies Romance Collection. And it too is set in Maine. And it is actually centered around a scam that happened in the late 1800s that just rocked the whole state of Maine. I, I wrote it in, to be set in 1851 instead of the late 1800s. But other than that, the account of everything that happens is true. And then after that, I am working on 
the contemporary romance story that I mentioned earlier that was centered around the lobstering business. I got the first draft of that finished when the opportunity to write Saving Mrs. Roosevelt came up. So I've actually put it away. It's been in my computer for about a year and a half. So I've recently pulled that back out. I'm going to polish it up and see what I can do with that. Do you envision yourself writing any more World War II? I am definitely not against it. I had a blast. Like, I think this was probably my favorite book that I've written so far. I had such a fun time writing the suspense part of it and putting all the puzzle pieces together. And I love World War II history anyway. I read historical fiction more than any other genre. I enjoy World War II era books. I was nervous about this one just because, like I said, it's unlike anything I had ever written, but I enjoyed it so much that, yes, if an opportunity would come up again, I would definitely do it. If the listeners would like to connect with you, where can they find you? The best way to find me would be on social media, my Facebook page, Candace Sue Patterson author. You can also find me on Instagram and Pinterest. And on Facebook and Instagram on Thursday mornings, I do a series called Coffee with Candace, where I make a short video and answer a reader's question or give them a little tidbit about something that's going on in my life or about my current writing journey. Or they can contact me on my website at CandaceSuePatterson.com. They can see the list of the books that I have there and sign up for my quarterly newsletter and just hear some of my news first before I post it on social media. Do you have any last words for the listeners? I just think anybody who picks up the book to read it, I just want to thank them for their time. I really enjoyed this one. This was what I did over COVID. This was this was my therapy <laughs> through COVID. And I just I just had a blast. So if they're entertained even for a short time, if anything in the book connects with them in any way or if they're blessed in any way, that makes me happy. And I just I hope everybody enjoys it. I'm sure they will. Well, unfortunately we're out of time, but it has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you, Candace, and Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It is always so sad when our time with our guests come to an end. There are so many wonderful and fascinating people out there who write Christian historical fiction. You've heard over the past 50 some odd episodes, and we haven't even repeated a single guest. So that's really saying something about the range of talent that's out there, and Candace is among them. And that leads me into what next week's topic is going to be, because 2021 has been a fabulous year. There have been so many good books that have come out in 2021. I think because, in part, we authors were busy in 2020, hunkered down in our homes, just writing. I think that maybe is one reason why there was so much good fiction that came out this year. What I want to know from you for next week's episode, think all the way back to January, what were your favorite books of 2021? What were your favorite Christian historical fiction books of this year? You may have to put your thinking cap on 
If you're one of those people who keeps a book journal, go back through there and see which ones that you really liked. And we're going to talk about them on next week's episode. So in order to answer this question, you can find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'll ask the question in all three places. Just search for Christian Historical Fiction Talk and you'll come up with us. Leave your answer there and I'll talk about the books that were your favorites throughout the year. They don't necessarily have to be anything that we talked about on the show. Maybe you had something else that you really loved that we didn't even get to. Like I said, there was so much I couldn't even get to it all. So that's going to be next week's episode as we start to wind down the year. Crazy that 2021 is almost at an end. Remember that you can find today's show notes over on my website, which is liztolsma.com, and just click on the podcast tab if you don't see this interview right on the homepage. All the information will be there, links to buy the books, they'll all be there, so please check that out as well. I appreciate all of you so much. I appreciate you being faithful and loyal listeners. I appreciate all the kind words. I have been getting so many lately, and I can't tell you how much they mean to me. They keep me wanting to do this and wanting to keep the show going. So thank you for inspiring me to keep at it in the coming year. And don't forget, if you have a friend who loves Christian historical fiction or just likes history, because we talk a lot of history on here too, let them know about the podcast so that we can continue doing what we're doing. There are some exciting things coming up in 2022 that you're going to want to be around for, that they're going to want to be around for as well. Thank you once again, and we will see you next week. <music>